thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Definitely on. Good morning. It's lovely to be with you. Privilege as always. Uh, I'm Phil. I'm a pastor in Hartlepool uh, and uh, I'm from Barrow. I'm Barrow lad. So uh, it's great. It's just a privilege. One of the joys of my life is being able to come um, to this church where I actually grew up uh, as a child and teenager. Uh, came to know the Lord uh, in this church, and it's one of its former incarnations. Um, so it's always a joy when I'm able to come and share with you. So I'm uh, part of the series on But God, and uh, we're going to be looking at the book God that's in Romans chapter 5, and I'm going to read the first 11 verses uh, as we come to look at this together. So, Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the, uh, sorry, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Well, I'm very aware that it's... uh, it's, uh, not only is it Ros's birthday today, which I didn't know, but it's a big year in the Harrison household this year, isn't it? An expensive year, I suspect, as well, uh, with Chloe and Joel getting married. And so, knowing and being a keen student of Johnny's preaching style, um, I'm sure that you've had a fair few sermon illustrations relating um, to wedding planning, weddings, and that kind of thing. Uh, and uh, am I right? You had a few of those? You remember those? Yeah? Just one or two, I suspect. But anyway, I, I want to tell you a, a, a wedding story this morning, but it, mine's kind of like coming a bit uh, later on because uh, yesterday uh, in Hartlepool, in our back garden, we had a party for my mum and dad because it is their diamond wedding anniversary on um, Thursday. So they will have been married for 60 years on Thursday, and they got married in Abbey Road Gospel Hall, Barrow in Furness, which was, as I say, was where this church was 60 years ago. It doesn't even exist anymore. 
Um, but uh, we were having this party and celebrating my mum and dad's 60 years uh, together. So we had family, we had friends, uh, all gathered together for this occasion. And uh, we were celebrating the love that they have for one another and the love that uh, they have for their family and for their friends. Uh, and uh, one of the things that I, you know, I've been reflecting, uh, reflect, reflecting a lot on that and thinking that over the course of, this, of my life, and I've been around, at my, uh, I'm 59, I was born 11 months after they got married, so just, just for those of you worried about the maths there, uh, and, um, and, and for all of those 59 years, I'm pretty confident I can say that I have never for one moment doubted that my parents loved me. Never for one moment doubted that my parents loved me. Now, there have been moments when I've kind of done stuff and I've wondered whether, once they know about this, whether they'll keep on loving me after this. Um, but I never have doubted. And I'm, sh- uh, and I'm very aware that probably there will be people here who would not necessarily be able to say that about their parents or one of their parents or whatever. But I can say with confidence, you know, that, uh, that I've never doubted that my parents loved me. And uh, the message that I want to bring to you this morning, this book, God, that I've been asked to speak on is this, you are loved. It's simple as that. I'm going to take a long time to say it, but that's what I'm saying. You are loved. That's just the burden that God's just put on my heart this morning, just to keep on hammering that home. You are loved. Because the book, God, is this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So, in this chapter, up to this point in the book, in the letter to Romans, the Apostle Paul has been explaining how God, in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, has brought about their salvation. He talks about that, he says at the beginning of chapter 5, therefore, since you've been justified by faith, that justified is a legal term. It basically says that, that God has declared that you are not guilty. And the reason that you're not guilty is because you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus has dealt with your guilt by taking your guilt upon himself on the cross at Calvary. And, uh, and because he has been raised to life, we not only can be, know that we have been freed from our former life, but we have been given new life. We have this new life to share and to live. But this creates a tension for us between what we're promised and what we're experiencing. And it's that tension that Paul is addressing here. So Paul is anticipating that his readers are going to be asking these questions. If I'm really right with God, why is it so hard? Any of you ever have asked that question? You know, if, if, I'm really, if really God's on my side, why does it feel so hard? Why does it feel so hard in my life? Why does it feel so hard to follow after God? You know, why do churches get themselves into messes sometimes, you know, and it gets tough? I'm not saying it happens here, but, you know, most of you or many of you will have experienced that and you'll think, why does God allow this stuff to happen? You might say, why am I still suffering? That seems to be the emphasis in verse 3. Why am I, if God loves me, why am I suffering? But also, if I'm right with God, how come I'm still struggling with sin? How come it's still so difficult? And that's clearly a real issue because those of you who know Romans will know there's a whole chapter about it, chapter 7, where, where Paul is kind of saying, you know, I, I want to live like this, but I find that I can't, so, you know, and the sin's still got a grip on me and in my heart. And all of these questions would have come up. And 
When Johnny gave me his instructions, they're very brief. It's in a sort of WhatsApp message, uh, you know, of about three words. The instructions were, the book God is, what was it like before and what has God changed? And this is what God has changed. God has shown his love for us. When we ask all of these questions, the answer to those questions is, because God loves us. How can I, sh- how can I be sure that when I'm suffering, God's on my side because he loves you. How can I be sure when I'm struggling with sin that God still loves me? (laughs) Because he does. And so if we just consider for a moment what the passage says about our former state, and actually if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is your present state. If you're someone who hasn't yet come to that place of faith, this is how Paul describes your present state. He says in verse 8, we were sinners which simply means we were those who had fallen short. It's a picture of an arrow that doesn't get to its target. doesn't even reach it. It's not that it misses it. It doesn't even reach it. It falls short. That's what it means to sin. We fall short of what God has created us for and what God has made us to be. He says also we were ungodly, verse 6. That means that we just hadn't loved God and honored God as we should. God is our creator. He deserves our worship. And we don't And we're ungodly when we don't honor him in the way that he deserves to be honored. He says in verse 10, we were God's enemies. You may never have thought of yourself as an enemy of God. But, and it might sound shocking, but if we live as if God were not real, even our apathy is enmity. Even our apathy is that we're at war with God, but we don't accept who we are in the created order. And he also says in verse 6 that we were powerless that there was absolutely nothing that we could do to change this situation, to help ourselves. So even in this state, Paul says, God demonstrates his love for us. Totally unworthy as we are, God has loved us. God has acted in love towards us. Now, when our first granddaughter was born, I can remember going to see her for the very first time. She was two days old. And I, I, I didn't, you know, I knew that I would love her. Uh, and, uh, but I was completely surprised by what happened when I was there and I saw her. She was two days old. I'd never held her. She was there in my daughter's arms. It's a tiny little thing. And uh, I was completely overwhelmed by the love that I felt with her. It was love at first sight. I saw her and I was so completely overwhelmed. It just took me completely by surprise. It's never gone away. She's nine now. It's never gone away. Just that I still, every time I see her, I think of that moment. I first laid eyes on her and just was in love with her. And she, and she hadn't done anything to deserve it. She had no personality. <laughs> she wasn't like going, Granddad, you're wonderful. It was simply the sight of this precious, precious child who was part of our family. And I want to suggest that Paul has something similar in mind about God's love for us. He loves us not because we deserve it. In fact, we're we're, we're even worse than Evelyn. We, We push him away. We're his enemies. But because he created us and in sovereignty has willed to rescue us, he loves us. He just loves us. Before the book God, we were helpless. We were lost. We were at war with God. But God loves us. 
given that we still suffer hardship, sometimes simply because we are Christians, and that we still sin, how can we be sure that God will continue to love us? I'm, is that a question that you've asked? You know, have you ever done something and thought to yourself, is God going to love me now? I've done this. You know, particularly, you know, so the rumor was, you know, when Constantine was converted, he decided that he didn't want to risk sinning um, in his lifetime. So he waited till just before he died to be baptized because he wondered if it was possible that God could rescue him if he, was, if he uh, sinned after he'd co- committed himself to God. And I don't know about you, but I've wondered that sometimes. When sometimes when I have gone very wrong, and believe me, I have gone very wrong at times, will God still welcome me back? Will God still accept me? And I've also met plenty of people in my life who say, I've experienced this or that. I've gone through this. I've seen my loved ones experience this. And there is no way that a loving God would let me experience that. But this passage tells us God demonstrates, which actually could mean proves, God proves his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. So in this passage, there are two ways in which we can know this. There is an objective way in verse 8, and there's a subjective way in verse 5, which simply means this. There's a way that cannot be ever removed There's something that has happened that shows forever that God loves us. That's the objective thing. And the subjective thing is that there is something inside of us that testifies and witnesses to the reality that God loves us. God's love is seen in history. God's love is seen in his actions. God does not shout from the safety of heaven, I really love you. He doesn't send us a card saying, I really love you. In Christ, he came and died for us. This is the reality. This is what we always need to return to. We always need to point to. When people say it, how can you say that God loves the world? We point to the cross and we say, look, God in, him, in and through his son showed us how much he loves us, how much he loves this world. There can be no dispute to that. And it's really important to see the significance of this fact that it was God in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8 points us to the deep unity of God the Father and God the Son. God the Father was showing and demonstrating his love for us in and through the death of his Son. He wasn't doing it to his Son, but together in their unity, they were demonstrating for all time and eternity that God is love and that love is real. Tom Wright, in his little um, everyday Bible series thing, writes on this verse, when we look at Jesus the Messiah, we're looking at the one who embodies God's own love, God's love in action. That's Jesus. And when we doubt God's love, and we do, we should keep on telling ourselves the gospel story that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You do that every week. You've just done it. Every time you take the bread and the juice, as you take communion, you're retelling the story. It's a moment in your week when you get to remember that God loves you. And it cannot be taken away, and it cannot be moved, and it cannot be changed. It's done, forever, shown and proved. God loves you. Fact. 
It's a fact. Now, I said earlier that I've never doubted my parents' love, but there have been occasions, as I indicated, when I've gone so badly wrong, when, let's just say it, I've sinned so badly, and I thought, goodness me, when people find out about this, my mum and dad are going to be so embarrassed, there's no way they're going to possibly love me anymore. And I can remember on a couple of occasions when I've had to confess something to my dad, particularly to my dad, on one occasion I remember saying to him, do you still love me? After I'd confessed this thing to him. Do you still love me? And I'm sure like many of you, you have said the same to God. You've sinned badly, you feel shame, and you wonder, can God still love me? And the answer is yes. He still loves us. He does still love us. Because as Paul writes in verses 9 to 10, if God loved us when we were his enemies, why should we doubt that he will carry on loving us and bringing us into all the life that he has promised? You know, we, uh, Margaret and I were on holiday in Scotland uh, last month, and uh, we were walking in Glencoe, and uh, we did a couple of Munros, which for those of you who don't know what that is, that's a mountain in Scotland over 3,000 feet, uh, and so we climbed up these couple of Munros, and uh, it was hard work, and I'm not getting any younger. Uh, and so we, we kind of like labored all the way up very steep uh, mountains in Glencoe. And uh, when we got to, to the summit, you know something? Well, as we approached the summit and we got to the easy bit, like that just like little bit, and we could see the cairn. Do you know, I didn't turn around and go, I've seen the cairn, I've done it now, I'll just go back down. And that's, and that's the picture that Paul is painting for us. Jesus has done the hard bit. He's done the difficult bit. He's already demonstrated God's love for us by dying for us on the cross. The easy bit is to come. It's just the stroll to the summit when Jesus returns and judges the world. That's the easy bit. Because he's already done the difficult bit. He's done all that he needs to do in order to save us and bring us into that place of security. And God wants each of us to know deep within ourselves that we are loved by him. So this is the second part of it. This is the subjective, sorry, yeah, the subjective part of it. The part which is about our experience, what's going on inside of us. We know we're loved not only because Jesus died for us on the cross, it's a historical fact and reality, but because Paul says in verse 5 that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We know that we're loved because God shows us by giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit who, who reveals to our inner beings that we are loved. So the Holy Spirit, his ministry is to bring home to us the fact that God loves us. And this is subjective. This, this is a promise that in our experience, in our own inner being, we can know that we're loved by God. And, you know, this might happen in many different ways, and it might happen on a number of occasions during the course of our lives. I was talking to a guy from, who works for the Message Trust on, um, uh, earlier in the week on Thursday, a guy called Paul. And uh, he was telling me his testimony and he, how he got saved at, at the big mission they did in the year 2000. He was a, just a lad from non-Christian background from one of the estates in Manchester. They bust him into the big events that they were doing in the, in the arena in Manchester. Uh, and, he, and this was his testimony. He said, 
basically went because there was a free ride in, there was loud music, and he wanted to chat up the girls. Uh, and he said that, uh, that so on, one, on one of the evenings, somehow or other, God got his attention through the speaker, and he started to listen, and he started to believe it. And, when she, and it was a lady speaker, and she said, when, when she said, does anyone want to become a Christian? He went, he put his hand up, went to the, went to the front. He said, someone prayed for me. And he, he said, and I just felt this warmth inside of me. Just it was a real, it was an ex, it was a subjective experience. But I would want to suggest that he just knew that God loved him. That all of this talk that he'd heard was real. That yes, it, it was real, and it was real for him. And when I think about my parents' love for me, most of the time it's there. I, I, I just know it. I, but there are times that I really know it. There are times when it's a witness within my inner spirit that my parents love me. Most of the time I take it for granted. And in a similar way, most of the time we know that God loves us. But I believe that there are times when God just wants to flood us with a sense of his love. He wants us to know. He wants, you know, he wants that embrace to, to hold us close and for us to know with absolute security that we belong to him and that he loves us and nothing that we ever do will change it. I had uh, an experience, uh, and it was one of those things, it's only ever happened to me once in my life, and I've been a Christian for 50, more than 50 years, and I was in Durham, and I could probably take you to the place where it happened, and I was on the way to an MBA council meeting. So this was not the highlight of my year by any stretch of the imagination. And out of the blue, I don't know, can't really remember much of a context to it, but I just suddenly walked into what I can only describe as a sort of <laughs> baptism in the love of God. In the middle of the street. I just had this incredible sense, God loved me. Now, when I look back on it, it was a one, might be a once-in-a-lifetime kind of experience. As I look back, it might have been preparation for a really difficult time that I was about to go into. But I knew personally that God loved me. And even in the darkness, I knew that God loved me. The problem was never whether God loved me. The problem was whether I loved God. You see, this is word and spirit. This is gospel word. Jesus died for us. This is Holy Spirit pouring the love of God into our hearts. We need to be word and spirit people. People who believe God's word. People who trust God's word. But people who are moving in the experience of the Holy Spirit. The love of God revealed into our hearts. The power of the Holy Spirit in our witness and our calling to be God's people. And as I was preparing this, I had just had this sense that there may be a few here this morning who believe, who believe in God's love for them, but in a kind of general way. You know, that sort of, I know that God loves me because he loves the world and he loves everybody. But you're not really sure that that is especially you. <laughs> he loves you, particularly you, and he knows you. See, when our second granddaughter was born, you know something? I kind of wondered, could I love her like I loved Evelyn? And sure enough, yes! <laughs> it's weird. God kind of created a new fountain of love in my heart. 
God is not dividing up his one pool of love between us all. So every time someone else becomes a Christian, there's a little less love for me. He loves each one of us as if we were the only one. That's, that's what parents do, isn't it? It's what we do as parents, isn't it? It's not like I had this pool of love and I've got three kids and I'm, now they get a third each. I love each one of them as if they were the only one. And I want us to get this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you. He loves you. He loves you and he knows you. Reflect on Psalm 139. You know, he knows every hair on your head. And that doesn't mean he loves you less if you've not got a lot of hair. Because there's quite a few people in here. There's a lot of of light shining, (laughs) reflecting. There is truly nothing that you can do or we can do that can make God love us less. And nothing that we can do that will make him love us more. He loves us. It's fact. He wants us to know it. He wants you to know that he loves you and he knows you. And the outworking of this in our lives has loads of facets, but I'm just going to highlight two and they're very brief, so I am going to finish, don't worry. And the first really is security, assurance. You need to just know whatever you're going through, however tough life might seem for you at this moment, God loves you. God loves you. He's demonstrated it. He wants you to know it in your inner being. And the second thing is simply this. It demonstrates how much you're worth. It demonstrates how much you're worth. You'll never find your true identity or worth by looking inside of yourself. Our identity and worth come from there. They come from God, who demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We find many ways to weigh our own worth. It might be in in another person, the love of another person. It might be in our success or our wealth. We talk, lots of people seem to talk about legacy now. But all of this is going to pass away. But God's love for you is everlasting. God's love for you is eternal. And so I just want to give us a moment to, to be quiet. And I just want to pray very briefly before I give back to Johnny. I just want to pray particularly for any, any of you who need to know, need to know that God loves you personally. Yes, you believe in God's love, but do you know it in your inner being, poured out? Lord, I want to pray. I just want to pray, Lord, for anyone here this morning who kind of knows of your love in a general way, but isn't totally convinced that you really love them and know them as an individual. And Lord, I just want to pray that you will pour your love into their hearts. Lord, I, I pray that each one of us will know the deeply personal nature of your love for us. That you love us and you're committed to us. And you've shown us that love in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you keep on showing us that love through the work of the Holy Spirit within us. 
And I pray, Lord, for anyone here who's going through a hard season in their life. Lord, I ask that you will give them a deep assurance of your continuing presence in their life and circumstance. That you'll give them a deep assurance of your ongoing love for them. And I pray for this church, Lord, and I thank you for all that you're doing here. And I pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, will continue to help them grow in love for one another. And Lord, that you will cause them to be known in this town for the love that they have for the people of this place. And I pray all of this in the loving and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.